Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. All right. On today's podcast, I have Kimberly Ann Johnson. This woman is fire. She's incredible. She's an author. She's a teacher and many other things, which we discuss on the podcast. So this podcast really falls into this beautiful intersection between spirituality and conscious sexuality. And we do talk about some pretty open things sexually. So just be ready for that. I know you can handle it. Go find her out in the world, read her books. She's truly a wealth of deep, open wisdom. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I'm really excited today to have Kimberly Ann Johnson here. So I first met Kimberly, I think it was back in 2018 at the Women's Space in LA. And since then, we have both been on our own journeys. And she's written another book called Call of the Wild, which we will talk about today and has but out there in the world, it seems like from where I'm sitting, uh, creating all kinds of new things, especially during this time in the last year and a half that perhaps will speak to um, where we're at in general um, in today's world and these times that we're in and uh, creating some medicine for these times. So I'm really happy to have you here. And I'd love to just begin by hearing a little bit about you, um, a little bit about what you do, uh, what you're up to, what you're all about, and and a little bit about why. I think that would be a great place to start. Mm, thanks. Uh, yeah, I primarily help women heal from everything that has to do with pelvic, gynecological, and sexual health. And I'm about helping people in the birth world understand sex and trauma, in the sex world understand birth and trauma and in the trauma world understand sex and birth. So I work at the intersection of those fields. I was a birth doula. I was a yoga teacher. Uh, I have a background in structural integration, which is the long form of saying Rolfing. And then I'm also a sexological body worker and a somatic experiencing practitioner. But those are all modalities that just help me understand the nervous system. And then also particularly how women heal and what we might need to know um, that's not always so accessible, although it seems to be becoming more accessible. Mm. Awesome. And so and I'm, why? <laughs> yeah, I'm curious. I'm like, I wonder how she got into this. And I don't remember re reading that in that book, in your book, though you may have touched upon it. I can't remember, but I'd love to hear. Yeah. Why did you enter into this path? And I came to it in a lot of different directions, but I would say the biggest, most recent um, shift was when I had a baby. So um, when I had a baby, all of a sudden, I almost instantaneously realized that all of my feminism and fight for equality made absolutely no sense to me in, in the moment of giving birth. About 45 minutes after I gave birth, I looked at my mom and I was like, this is just all bullshit. Like this whole idea that we could even think we're remotely equal. Like what, what was I thinking? Um, and then it was really hard for me to heal postpartum. And I was a yoga teacher and I knew all about my pelvic floor and I was very confident about becoming a mother. So I was just shocked when it was so hard for me to heal then as I began to heal and I wrote my first book, The Fourth Trimester, my book signings became like confessionals. And I'm sure mm. you probably have had that same experience where people are handing me the book and going, I've never had an orgasm or I mm. really need your help or um, I've never told anybody this, but I did X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. So once I started attending to, wow, there's no information for women out there. And this was 12 years ago. So it's my daughter was born 14 years ago now. Things have changed a lot in the last 10 years and last five years. Uh, you know, there's so much more out there on all kinds of things ranging from period health. I mean, four years ago, I went to New York and I saw the thinks ads of women bleeding in the subway. And I remember taking pictures and thinking this is the most radical thing I've ever seen. Nowadays, I'm like, well, people stop posting the period pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we've come a long way in terms of 
centering women's health, understanding more about what's happening. And yet there's a long way to go. And so when I started hearing people's stories and they would tell me like, you know, I have had painful sex for five years, but I, but not before that. And then I'd say, what happened five years ago? And they'd say, I had an abortion and I would say, oh, and they would say, but it's not related because I went to the doctor and the doctor told me like it has nothing to do with it. Or I've been in a three year Canadian study and meant, and, um, and I said, well, you know, did you, how was the experience? And when they start to talk about how traumatic it was, it's like mind blowing to me that that piece hasn't been put together. And so um, that's really why, because I came from a background in civil disobedience and civil rights. And, um, and that's really why I went into yoga. But then when I started working more in the women's health sector, I realized how underserved female populations that identify as women are, especially when it comes to reproductive and sexual health. Mm. I'm curious that moment where you, right after you gave birth, where you were like, I'm going to throw all this feminist or however you just put it, like what, like, what was that about? Will you tell us more about that? Cause that's seems like a turning point. My version of feminism up to that point was really that, you know, anything a man can do, I can do and I can do better. That was sort of what I was raised with. And so I think just, and and I still consider myself a feminist. Um, It's just that version or that underlying belief to me made absolutely no sense having just gone through the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual experience of having a baby. And I just like, there's a quality is that that idea is ridiculous. Like we're, we're not, we we're made up differently. Um, our, our roles are different and not that we only have one and that we have to be exclusively there, but the idea that I should use my energy like a man does, or I should be trying to accomplish something because that's what a man is doing just at that moment seemed completely crazy. And how did your life change or your relationship to, to being a woman or to feminism after that, uh, understanding our insight? I think it continues to develop and unravel. I mean, of course, I do want women to have equal rights as men. I want all people to have equal rights. But the idea that this, that there's a male standard that's the bell tone that's ringing and we're all trying to match that, that's what I um, reject. And also, it's, it's not, that's really not about equality. That's about making ourselves the same as whoever has power. And based on the fact that the people who've had it aren't doing that great with it and it's not working out that well, um, I'm not interested in replicating power dynamics and just changing the players, but keeping the power dynamics in place. And so that's really where the Jaguar work took off was when the resurgence of the Me Too movement happened, uh, I recognized like, okay, yes, we can do all of this reporting. We can unshame ourselves. We can claim our space, all of those things important, although somewhat for me as a trauma therapist, just feeling protective of the way that that was happening on social media and the way the volume of it and and not having an in-person cauldron to metabolize that with other people. So that was concerning to me. But besides that, um, I also was like, okay, so then we we take all the men out of those positions, the ones who are abusing their power and they're abusing it in different ways. And and we've thrown them all in the same pot. So we've decided that, you know, cat calling is kind of the same as like childhood incest, which of course it's not. And and we don't treat it the same way therapeutically either, but I'm not a therapist, but you know, as far as like healing work goes. Uh, And so I, yeah, I'm just fundamentally interested in number one, as women, how do we conspire against ourselves? Where do we give our own power away? And, and, and how does our reclamation of that power change the power dynamics potentially? So I was never so interested. I mean, it's not like I worked in corporate America or something, and I was trying to act like a dude and wear like, you know, 80s shoulder pads or anything. It's all of the underlying yoga advice, nutritional advice, diet advice, biohacking advice that's all coming from a male perspective, researched on male bodies, delivered in a very masculine fashion. 
the experience for me of becoming a mother was that, and you know, I became a mother of a daughter as well, uh, really opened my eyes to like, I'm asking the wrong questions. Like I'm not, and, and for me, my feminism now is something that centers the body centers biology, which I know is very, um, controversial for some people to hear because we're in a place where we're redefining all these categories and and a category such as a woman or saying that um, dimorphism exists is very controversial. But for me, based on what I work with in terms of biology and physiology with trauma, but also with overall health, um, that's what my work is about. It's about stripping down the morality and the ideology and getting to the biology and the physiology. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love hearing you just kind of presence that, you know, in the times we're in right now that that even is controversial just to claim that experience of, wow, I just had a baby and now I see like, this is, I can't compare my journey to just like, you know, equal to a man. Um, and, you know, we see it happening in so many different ways that seem totally innocuous and almost look like empowerment. But when yeah. I hear it, I go, no, that's not that's off. Like I somebody just wrote me to tell me they've been sleep deprived because they've had a baby and they're seven, um, seven months, their, their child is seven months old. And so they were likening it to, quote unquote, torture. And I'm like, no, this is biological design like you every every person who's had a baby is going to lose sleep. That's part of it. But if you fight against it or you have to go back to work right away, or you're trying to function as if you didn't just have a baby based on either the culture or your own conditioning that just won't let you stop and won't let you adapt, then yes, it seems unfair. It seems unjust. It seems like the world's against you that you're losing sleep, but those sleepless nights are actually, um, can be extremely powerful and it's a bonding time and it's a time of darkness where there's time to connect. And if you don't feel like you've got to, you know, run a business. And I know, you know, for a lot of people, this is, it sounds like it's privilege, but in fact, what we see is that a lot of people with quote unquote, less financial means, less privilege do a lot better postpartum because they have more intergenerational support. And there are cultures where postpartum support is intact. And so if people don't relate to the postpartum conversation, we could easily be talking about men menstruation. We could be talking about menopause, or we could just be talking about um, health that's related to being in tune with the cycles of nature as humans, yeah. which we've worked ourselves out of by having electricity and being able to eat whatever we want any time of the year. Yeah. But the main thing is, you know, really respect respecting our biology so that it works for us rather than working against us and we really have to make a radical choice for that to work because we have to do things differently than we're done with us and that we've probably seen around us yeah all of that is so true and i love how you just put it in the context of like hey if you're not a new mom like you bleed or um you have any type of experience that could be a transfer. It's like an inner transformational cycle, right? That we're honoring essentially or dishonoring. And I love, I was so touched by what you said about just like the sleepless nights. I mean, it sounds like sacred ceremony, like where you're in the dark with this little being, I haven't done it, but, um, and then that I'm sure that being is going to nap the next day some, and so you can nap with it or you can try to fight against it and, you know, get many things done. And um, it reminds me of just the menstrual cycle as well. Like I read Inga Muschio's book when I was like, I think maybe 18, and it really kind of set me off on that reclaiming of my cycle. And now um, I wouldn't want to try to, you know, live in a male body's rhythm you know, try to do that just because, you know, they're working all the time or working harder. I just can't when I'm bleeding a lot. I just can't, you know. So it's an interesting place, I think, in our culture where if we, if we start to, 
um, stigmatized conversations around being a woman. And it starts to be like, we can't really say, hey, I'm a woman. Hey, I'm a bleeder. Because that's tech, like become something that's too offensive or too controversial. Then I'm really curious what, what will happen to our own experience of ourselves and our time. Because, you know, whether anyone likes it or not, I bleed you know, and it hurts and it's a whole process every month. And it's really, you know, it's an intense process. Um, and I don't see that going away regardless of how we categorize gender or gender experience. Like some bodies do certain things and it's important for us to have spaces to talk about it and to understand it and to heal, obviously, from trying to pretend like it doesn't exist, trying to work those days after having a sleepless night or when you're in excruciating cramps, like trying to just pretend everything is okay. So I appreciate you bringing that up and giving voice to people who do really identify with the female experience and they're living a female body. So I, I would love to hear a little bit about the sexological body work. That's originally how I met you because I mm -hmm. came and I booked a session with you. Um, which is really funny. I may have shared this publicly at some point, but it, I basically was at Burning Man. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous thing. I was at Burning Man and this, this man who was at my camp, and I remember two of my sisters, my dear friends from Seattle, were like, was that guy creeping on you? And I was like, well, he was just giving me unsolicited feedback. So essentially, yes. But um, he was like, <laughs> your, your anal chakra seems a little uptight. And, you know, you may not attract someone with that sort of ten anal tension. <laughs> Such a random, um, unsolicited, you know, energetic reading. However, I did think about it and I was like, oh, I've never, I've never, at that point, I was like, I've never had anal sex. I have actually experienced IBS. I have experienced a lot of, like when I was a kid, I was hospitalized for uh, constipation that had had lasted quite a long time uh, after some traumatic experience. And, and so then I, I, I wrote Kimberly. <laughs> so whether that guy was just, you know, a strange catalyst or actually had some, some clarity for me, that's how I found you. So, um, I'm curious, how did you, <laughs> that seems like such an interesting story that I would remember that, but I actually don't, I don't you know don't. if you told me that. I, guys, I feel like that would stick with me if you had said that. <laughs> I might've been so nervous to have someone, you know, uh, penetrate my anus for the first time in, in that kind of a way that I, I might've not mentioned it, who knows, but I think I have mentioned it sometime over these years. Cause it was kind of funny. And then you, you basically were like, everything everything feels fine. And it wasn't like an, ex it wasn't an excruciating experience. So for me in that moment, I was like, oh, okay. I'm okay. I'm not as uptight as I thought I, I was in that, in that area. Um, and that was just like, I don't know, helpful in some way, I suppose. But, um, it was also just liberating, I think, to have that experience and to kind of destigmatize this moment of someone of, of sexological body work, just in general, that that didn't have to be something that was um, scary. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what drew you to that aspect of your supporting of women um, and why someone might do that. And, and now I just watched the new Goop show. I'm not sure if you saw it. And, I have. and yeah, and saw the sexological body work on there, which was really beautiful. So I imagine there will be a lot of curious people. So we'd love to hear about that. Yeah, well, I sought out sexological body work because once I started working with women and helping them heal birth stuff and, and all kinds of stuff, hemorrhoids, um, incontinence, yeah. painful sex, scar tissue, you know, all kinds of situations and symptoms, I realized that, you know, to work in the pelvis is it's no small thing. And especially considering that most body work leaves out the pelvis and there's reasons for that. But then if you get pelvic work, like pelvic floor PT, it's only the pelvis. They're not likely to touch other parts of you as well. So it kind of replicates like going to the gyno where like you just get a pap smear, but like there's no 
contact with like your bones or your full vulva first, because everyone's trying to avoid touching the clit or any imagination that there could be an arousal related to it. But instead it just ends up being this like super uncomfortable, awkward experience most of the time. And so I I realized, you know, just like everyone, I didn't feel like I had an especially significant amount of trauma, but I did feel like uh, if I'm going to work in this area, I want to have as little shame as possible. I want to know as much as I can. And I want to be as clear as possible. Cause I, I thought when I was working a lot in the birth world that a lot of people were there to heal their own resolved pelvic trauma and they didn't necessarily know that's why we're there. And then that pings off other people's stuff. And so I just didn't want to be doing that. I already had an experience as a yoga teacher where a lot of my female students would have Kundalini experiences in my class. And I wasn't sure why, and I wasn't sure what I was doing. So I just wanted to make sure that my own energy wasn't the thing that was setting things off without me knowing it. Mm. Wasn't setting off the Kundalini. You were just doling out the Shakti pots. Well, actually in most cases it was women who'd experienced trauma and the Kundalini that they were, that was getting lit up in them had only ever happened to them sexually. It had never happened in like a public space and it had never happened in practice. And so when it happened more than once and more than one woman said to me, this has never happened with anyone else except for sexually. And then with you, I was like, all right, I got to figure out what I'm, what I'm doing. Wow. That's such a, that's so responsible. And, uh, I, it's yeah to hear someone a practitioner say that like well at the time I didn't have trauma training either so I was like okay I know how to hold space like I can you know I can sit with somebody but like I don't know how to help them transform this I don't know how to guarantee it won't happen again and I don't even know if this is good or bad like I don't even know if this is helping them or if this is a recapitulation so I wanted to figure that out and that's one of the reasons I went to somatic experiencing school. But with sexological body work, you know, the first, there's three months of prereqs and it's really intense. It's like you have to do an assignment every four days and they're really intense assignments. For me, they were at least, it was like, find someone who will witness you masturbating. And I didn't have a partner at the time. So for me, it was like, who in the world am I going to ask to watch me masturbate? Like now from where I am, I'm like, oh yeah, I could think of a few people that would be okay with that. But (laughs) at the time I was like, I don't know. I actually got together with an ex during the sex pod because I think I just, that was the only way that I could imagine doing the things that I I had to give a soft, soft cock massage. When I heard those words together, I fell on the floor laughing. Like I never (laughs) thought I heard it. Something so funny in my life, soft (laughs) cock massage. I'm like, what the hell is that? And like, I didn't even know you were supposed to touch soft cocks at the time. Like I was like, I don't know what to do with this. So I had all these homework assignments and I had this one day where I had a cohort of, um, I had cohort the whole time, you know, your little pod And all of the women in my pod, uh, they were women and non-binary folks, were uh, sex workers. And um, because in the sexological bodywork training, it's about half sex workers. And then the rest of the half are like a mix between therapists, dancers, body workers, um, all just a melee of things that you might be. So I got in with all sex workers and they, I mean, it was right and left just blowing my mind because it was nothing like the stereotypes I had of sex work. Two of them were moms. One of them had three children and did the sex work in her home, in a room in her home, um, with all of her kids knowing that that's what she was doing. So it was just like fracturing my reality right and left. But this one day I got on the call and they had got on a little earlier and they were kind of talking shop. And they were talking shop about some really extreme things that they did that for them was normal. But for me, as somebody who never was in that world, it was very shocking and very traumatizing to hear. And I got super flustered and was just like, they're like, what's going on? And I'm like, I just feel really frozen right now. Like I'm, I feel, I don't want to judge you. I don't want to make any kind of like I want, I care about you all. And, but I also, I'm just like not able to take this in. And so we worked through it and in basically what it had to do was like hurting people. Like they would, one of them's thing was kicking guys in the balls and they would pay her to do that. Yeah. Um, but like, I just didn't know that people, 
was, I didn't know that would be like most of your job. Um, so the following day I went back into my session work as a practitioner and the first woman who came to me con confessed in quotes to me that she had been an escort. No one ever, ever, ever in my practice had ever said that to me. And then the next person who came was a man. He was coming for a rolfing session. He quote unquote confessed to me that his first sexual experience was with a sex worker and that he had a series of experiences with sex workers. And I just recognized at that time, like this has to do with the work that I just did, that I was willing to confront the shame and be in that field. And as a result, now I don't have that boundary. And so people are feeling comfortable talk. It's not that no one, I had never had a client that had that experience before is that they didn't feel comfortable telling me, or it wasn't arising to the surface. Yeah. So that's just one example of a lot of examples of what the training is like, but it's, yeah. I consider it just like radical unshaming so that I'm not shocked by people's fantasies, people's realities. Um, and I feel I'm not mentally comfortable with it, but internally having all kinds of weird reactions that I'm actually just genuinely comfortable. Cause I've also been in the realm of hearing a lot more than what I was normally hearing and it's body work. So um, my work, I guess, if people have watched sex, love and goop, I don't usually have arousal in my sessions like Darshana's sessions or, mm -hmm. and I don't know if she usually does either, but she did mm -hmm. in the session that was in a show. I really work mostly um, with people who are coming in with discomfort but ultimately I'm an educator. So I'm helping women map themselves. I'm helping them understand, okay, theoretically, you know where your cervix is, but like, can you feel me touching your cervix right now? Theoretically, you know where your G spot is or not. And so let's find it together. Let's like, everyone's G crests are different. Like let's, let's, let me show you what the texture of it is. And in that process, a lot of healing happens just from, witnessing contact so it's not diagnostic or medical and it's not sexual or surrogacy it's yeah it's something that most people's experiences feels very ancient feels like something that women have been doing with each other for millennia which is just having open contact and understanding what's going on through our life cycle mm. thank you for sharing that story and um and bringing that in, it does seem like when you said that, I'm like, yeah, what we're supposed to all of a sudden just understand our anatomy and, oh, it's painful or I don't know where that is. All of a sudden, like in the last however many hundred years um, where it's been like completely probably taboo for, I mean, I don't know exactly historically when it wasn't, but we can imagine through, I think, some of the goddess worship traditions or some of the... Um, found artifacts uh, or or sculptures or whatever, but how incredible would it be to have that as a young woman, to have other women, to be able to openly support each other in knowing what our anatomy is. Not only that, but the, the feelings, the emotions, the sensation, the cycles, and that a lot of us have just navigated that journey alone. And so I imagine women are very empowered to come to you or after they come to you and get to know their bodies a little bit more. Yeah, it's, it's really obviously like a huge honor to do the work. And it, I don't take it lightly, nor am I like incredibly fed by it. Like I hear some people that are just like, oh, I just like can't wait to get in people's pelvises. Like I'm not, <laughs> there's nothing. I do it as a service and as something that I feel is like an essential part of what people like to talk about as empowerment. But to me, if, we, if you haven't claimed your own pelvis and you don't know how your own physiology works or what's happening or where your organs are, um, it's almost impossible to actually be empowered. And if you don't have, you know, a lot of people come to me and I'm the first person that's ever contacted them, even holding their pelvic bones and just paused. And it, I'm not asking anything. I'm not doing anything to them. I'm just simply listening to what the structure has to say. Um, you know, how many people have had abortions and they made a decision quickly and they, you know, they wanted to do it as early as possible. And I have a friend who did one on a Friday and went to work on a Monday, right? Um, 
there's so many potentials for places where we have skipped frames in our system. And so just having that bony contact and having time and space, right? The average doctor's appointment is so quick, same with PT, to have like an hour and a half where we can actually make space for the emotions that might arise, make yeah. space for the images or the memories or, you know, whatever it is that needs to have space to air out. Yeah. And so does that happen a lot when you go to do this work that then a lot of emotions flow from the clients? Yeah, it happens. Even when I, even just sitting with women, I mean, it's maybe not the women who listen to your podcast necessarily, but in general, for most people to decide that they are, that they want to talk about their sexuality with someone else, that's a big deal just to begin with, to show up and say, yes, I want to address this because so many of us, I mean, even if, if people don't have extremely overt trauma, we live in a shame filled society. A lot of people have religious, explicit religious messages about their being good, being more spiritual or less spiritual, depending on how sexual they are. Um, there's just a lot of confusion and a lot of questions. So there's also tremendous relief that sometimes brings a lot of emotion, you know, like, yeah. Oh my God, finally, I can, so finally someone can help me put these puzzle pieces together. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of longing and uh, missing, you know, like when, once I have this space where I feel this way, I can't believe how many times I haven't felt this way. I can't believe I can't like, I mean, when I place yeah. my whole hand over someone's whole vulva and just pause there, I can't tell you how many women tell me I've never felt this before. Like I've never had someone just hold me, just listen, not expecting to go any further, not doing it as a trade or just, they just haven't experienced it at all because they really, they feel guilty about what they call foreplay. And so their sex has really just been like penetration oriented. So, so many different possibilities of reasons why it's emotional. I mean, I get emotional when I get the work, like yeah. it's emotional to, it's taken me a long time to feel that I even have a right to do the work. Like, you know, when I was in, there's so many women who come to me and they're like, well, I, I have to hide this from my partner. And I'm like, I can't even believe that. Like you're coming here because you're incontinent and you are wetting your pants. Like, why would you have to hide that from your partner? But this idea that our, our body belongs to our partner, or what does it mean about me? If I am touched, my genitals are touched by another woman. Like, does that mean I'm gay? Does that mean like, right. is there a attraction? And, and sometimes people ask me that, like, and it's, that's a great question. If it's lingering in someone's mind, you know, like, is there attraction for you here? Or do you get aroused when you're doing the work? You know, all those kinds of mm. questions that are bubbling up. And sometimes we know they're happening and sometimes we don't. And it's just right. uh, my job to help people recognize in the present moment what's happening in their nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so not everybody who comes to me has pelvic floor work because a lot of times their mind might say, yes, I want this. That sounds really good. But their body is completely not saying yes. And so I'm mm -hmm. helping them learn when their body is saying yes and when it's not. And knowing like, as long as everything's not a yes, then we won't move forward and, you know, we can find some other way to work. So I do a lot of consent work as well, which is a lot based on Betty Martin's wheel of consent work. Um, and also just on the somatic experiencing boundary work. Amazing. And so that, that's was going to be my next question, which kind of brings us into your latest book a bit is that how the sexological body work and the somatic experiencing work kind of come together. And if that was when you started on the journey, supporting women, um, who'd given birth and doing the sexological body work and, was there a point where you were like, okay, now I need to learn the somatic experiencing work or did it happen simultaneously? I did. I had already done that. Okay. So, All right. so I, you had I was those certified. Skills. Yeah. I started in, in Brazil actually in 2011. And so I had the trauma tracking skills and then I had a lot of body work chops because in Rolfing, we work in the nose and the mouth, mm. but I went to sexological body work school also for legality because it's illegal to touch genitals in exchange for money. 
Mm-hmm. And they talk about that a little bit in the sex loving goop. So even though I'm a woman and I work on other women primarily, although occasionally I work on other genders, um, and I specialize in scar tissue remediation. Even so, in California, sexological body work is legal, but in other states, there's other kinds of rules. Yeah. So even if it's consensual and you know all those things, so sexological body work. The code of ethics is that I always stay clothed and it's always one way touch. And then I always wear gloves. So um, it's not, there's not like a touch trade happening. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it seems like that would be the somatic experiencing work would be really helpful when you're, it sounds like tracking people. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) To me, there's, it's, it's not that you can't do good work otherwise, but you're just so likely to overstep people's true capacity. You know, these, yeah. these ta- like Tantra in general, people are just going way past their limits because yeah. that's what's going on there. And so, you know, and, and they don't feel, most people don't feel comfortable to tell the facilitator, I'm not comfortable with this or my body is shutting down. They feel like they're more advanced or they're being a good student if they go along with the thing, which is just more of the same, more toleration, more, yeah. well, I'm going to give my power away because somebody else knows more than I do. And if, if I was just m- less inhibited, this would be better. And maybe this will make me less inhibited. But in fact, it's the opposite. It's like respecting where we are moment to moment that creates the potential for us to expand our capacity for pleasure, to expand our capacity for, um, whatever it is that we're working with. Yeah. I mean, I, I have talked about this a bunch and I've experienced it because I've been in a workshop in a, in a male, female kind of partner workshop where I was partnered with an older man and I saw everyone, all the other women in the room were like writhing on the man and like in their laps. And I was just standing there. I was like, I'm not doing that. My body is a no. And even and I'm so glad that I, I didn't go against myself. Like I was at a point in my own journey where, where I, I knew to list, I had already gone against my own, uh, you know, no many times when I was younger, but even standing in front of this man, maintaining eye contact with him and breathing still felt like I was triggered trauma, trigger, tra- triggering trauma in myself. Mm-hmm. And I felt, and I went into complete freeze and I just was in a freeze and I couldn't even raise my hand for help. And I, afterwards I I spoke to the facilitators and I was like, how, how, like, do you guys have infrastructure for what happens if someone, I mean, you're asking all these women to go into these like very sexual scenario type of thing. I mean, not sexual in the fact that we were clothed, you know, fully clothed, but, um, I, I definitely had a very kind of a, an angry feminist moment with those mm-hmm. teachers and, you know, really wrote about it, considered it, have said to people entering into kind of partner-based kind of tantra work like um, just given my own warnings about it, it just staying close to your own knowing in those spaces and also being really uh, – discerning about what spaces you step into, I think, first and foremost. And, you know, you and I create those spaces too. So it's not like it's an easy thing to do because it's edgy. And so we're already pushing edges and that's part of, that's partially why magic happens for some people, but especially when it comes to the freeze response, it's tricky because, I mean, that's why I always do boundaries work. Boundaries work precedes any kind of arousal work because you have to have some kind of common language Ideally, enough people, ideally, like the person who was your partner would recognize that you were in a freeze, right? But if that mm-hmm. person doesn't recognize it, then somebody who's an assistant in the room should rec- recognize it, yeah. if not the trainer who's overseeing it. But it is very tricky. And again, it's, it's like one of these experiences where, you know, luckily there wasn't major harm done. So you learn something from it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's all we can do because there's no perfection, right? There's no, there's, there's not going to be a time when like in my life, for instance, when I never have a freeze response again, we're going to have the responses. Yes. So it's just about what happens, what the context is like. And I mean, I've given it a lot of thought because I do some online um, work with, like I call it a sexuality salon. 
And one of the things that comes up is I have therapists that are in the chat that are doing support, but like some of the women are like, but I felt like I couldn't even do that. Like I couldn't even reach out to the therapist yeah. to ask for the support, you yeah. know? And it's like, yeah, that's real. And, and yeah. that freeze response is really why we can't outsource. Like we can't expect every partner that we come in contact with to be able to interpret our freeze response. Hopefully in five to 10 years, that's why I wrote the book. Hopefully we'll have a new language and we can recognize, we can't expect each other to recognize it. Which but would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The, the freezing and the fawning are things that are so confusing to someone who's on the receiving end of it. And I don't know about you, but you know, now that I have written a book and it's not like I'm any kind of a celebrity, but some people treat me with sort of put me on a pedestal sometimes. And I can feel when they're fawning me, but I don't always know how to handle it. And sometimes yeah. I only realize afterwards, oh, that's why they did that because this is an uneven power dynamic, but yeah. because I see, I don't see myself that way. I'm, it can be a blind spot for me. And Same I think that's, me. yeah. And so, you yeah. know, that's, it's hard. And so that gives me understanding of, for people who seem like they're clueless and it's like, well, in a way they are, because if you're the one who has the power and someone else's system is short circuiting, sometimes it's hard to understand why, right? Exactly. Like maybe yeah. that old guy's creepy. That was your partner. Maybe he wasn't. He, but it's yeah, like, he was just a nice guy. I just projected, <laughs> you know, I was like projecting all the creepy men on him. <laughs> um, and I'm glad at the end of the day, I had enough resources to afterwards be like, okay, wow, that was intense for me. And I did get a little blamey. And then I came back to myself and like, okay, I'm a sovereign being. I chose to be in this workshop. I knew there were going to be men there. I knew that I might get triggered by these men. And, um, and I learned so much from it and, and it was powerful work. And I, I also I think it's a really good scenario to bring up though, because I think that, and this is really where the Jaguar work comes in. That's in the call of the wild is that like when I was in fifth grade and I went to school dance, my mom told me, you have to say yes to anyone who asks you, like e even the nerdy guys, because they're, <laughs> they're going to feel bad if you don't say yes. So be nice, be the nice one that says yes. <sighs> well, that carries over to like, okay, now I'm in a Tantra workshop and it's time to partner up. And I feel like I have to say yes to somebody. Yeah. No, you don't. No. You can actually just say, I'm going to sit this whole thing out or I'm done for the day. Yes, you know, and I used yeah. to do this also when not even with men, just, you know, I go to these, let's say a somatic experiencing training and your experience is really determined by the people that you do the trades with. And so if I'm being nice and I just say yes to whoever asks me, I could have like a lame training because I'm partnering with someone that I have no resonance with that yeah. we have completely different things. So choosing, like, I think it's okay to tell women you, you can choose, like you can yeah. actually actively choose the person you want to partner with. You can choose to opt out and it doesn't mean you're not being a good student or it doesn't mean you're not going to learn it. It means you're, we're not supposed to go into these workshops, blank slates. And I think that, that, that we can, we can put ourselves in that position. Like, well, I'm just, I'm here to learn. So I'm just going to, you know, right. Or I'm here to, to learn about sex. So let me just take off all my clothes and not respect all of the steps it takes to get into I mean, I can't stand these Tantra workshops where you have to stand 18 inches from someone's face. I'm like, I don't want to be 18 inches from them. Like, I would rather let's talk about where we each feel comfortable and have a right. negotiation. I don't yeah. want to like force myself to stand here. I call it hippie chicken. Like we're going to like have a stare down and whoever looks away first is less spiritual. Like that's just <laughs> a threat gesture <laughs> system. And that's why it feels creepy is because that's not a well-regulated nervous system. A well-regulated mm. system sometimes looks around and sometimes looks, yeah. makes contact. And there's, there's an ability that we don't feel like someone's abandoning us by looking away. And mm. we can stay connected, but we don't have to maintain that intensity all the time. Yeah, 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 I definitely agree. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting place to have different types of practitioners bringing different modalities together into rooms. And I think that's new, you know, having that conversation about the nervous system, like whether you're facilitating a workshop or um, someone else where it's 
there's there's more nuance in a sense to the work, uh, any kind of partner work. And for those of you listening, we're talking about going to workshops. So if you've never been to a workshop, you may be like this. I don't know what you're talking about, but you'll probably go to a workshop at some point. Um, it could be walking in. I mean, I guess also who's walking into rooms with big groups of people at this point. But you're right. you know, it, it has to do about choosing who you interact with and that you exactly. don't always have to be on the receiving end of exactly. everything. You can opt out of things you can start them and stop them you can decide yeah party. yeah like this applies to a party big time like that kind of oh I need to say hello to this person and this person and if this is how everyone else is interacting I must do that too or um it's yeah social behavior whether it's at a, a workshop a party a whatever. Um, I appreciate what you said about the fawning thing, because I think that was my whole living in LA for those years that I like, wasn't sure if people liked me or if they were fawning, like something felt off. Um, and I, and I, at the, I just kept going, you know, I have to trust myself here that something doesn't quite feel like a resonance of a dynamic. Um, and I think at the time I was, I was doing a lot on social media and I'm, I'm not doing as much or revealing as much personal information on social media anymore, but at that time I was. So I'd meet people who kind of knew a lot of personal information about me and I could feel it and something just felt off um, in the field between us. And whether it was a fawn response or the other response would sometimes be just like a like a ignoring like oh I don't I don't know you even though we had met or that kind of thing um, and yeah now I live in the mountains so that's not happening no one here knows me <laughs> um, that good I mean some I laugh about it with my partner I'm like hey I was in this TV show too hot to handle and I thought that you know someone would recognize me because when I lived in New York and LA people would recognize me because I I made a web show and, and then I wrote my book and but like the only person that's recognized me from that TV show here is my partner's um two best friends uh, teen daughters oh. and, uh, <laughs> and I'm like great that's fine I love it <laughs> but so um I just want to finish up with a question that I kind of bring in for everyone here, but for you, I kind of catered it in a way where it's, it's, you know, this podcast, my original intention was to bring conversations that could um, kind of walk the edge of what is sacred and what is profane. And um, I'm curious for you if there's this, a moment, a story, an anecdote where you felt like, um, and you've already mentioned some that feel like this, so, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask for another, um, if it feels good, where the divine or a mystical moment came through into the body, into the, the work that you do. So, um, something that you do that maybe is centered around biology or physiology, but you felt that moment of spirit and matter meeting. I'm curious if, um, there's a, a one that comes to mind. Well, there's a lot, but I would say something that happened recently, which felt very kind of auspicious, but also messy and maybe a little confusing, but also magical was that um, I'm in a relationship and my boyfriend lives in Brazil and he doesn't have a US visa. So we met in Mexico about a month ago and I've been, we've been together for about a year and I've been begging him for anal sex for like maybe eight months, but he said he's not ready for that. And so I was just respecting his pacing and, you know, every once in a while reminding him that that's something that I really wanted, but also not pushing it. And um, my experience with my menstrual cycle in the past two years since the pandemic started is I'm, when the pandemic started, I was 45. Um, my mom bled until she was 55. So I was thinking I would have about another 10 years. And from March, 2020, I didn't get a period till June, 2020, when I moved to California back to where I was in, I was in Brooklyn and I moved back to California. And then I had a regular period for a little while. And then in December, I didn't have a period and I didn't get another one until March. And I was with my boyfriend at the end of December. So at the beginning of the year, I didn't know. I was like, am I pregnant or am I menopausal? And all the psychics were saying, all the astrologers, everyone, you were definitely pregnant. You're pregnant, you're pregnant, you're pregnant. But all the pregnancy tests were saying you're not pregnant. 
And it was just such a bizarre feeling to be like, I, and everyone would be like, well, can't you tell, can't you feel it? Can't you sense it? And I'm like, no, I can't, I don't know what is going on. And so then since, so I wasn't pregnant in spite of all the, um, spiritual advice. And then I, um, only got my period every time I saw my boyfriend. And mm. I was just like, this is just so like, so, and, and I was at every time I was out of town. So mm. like, okay. So then I hadn't gotten my period again for like two months. My friends are all joking me like, well, yeah, you're not going to get it until you see your boyfriend again. I'm like, well, we'll see. And so we spent 10 days together, no period. I thought I just skipped a whole one. I thought I was just going to have one the next time. And then on our last day together, he basically like said, okay, I'm ready now. So we had this like amazing, passionate anal sex. I felt completely like satisfied and filled up and just engaged and connected. And then I looked down and the bed was like filled with like poop water basically. And it was a white bedspread in a hotel. So I was like, oh no. So I like stood up really fast and like got in the shower and then he followed me into the shower. Cause he's like, <laughs> like, we're just in the middle of something like what, what's going on. But it was like, this other thing came on me like, Oh my God, I got to clean this. So then we're like cleaning the thing together. And then we get back into bed and I say, I need you to just lay on top of me for a second. Like I just feel really dispersed right now. I need you to lay on top of me. So he lays on top of me. I start sobbing. He was leaving that day. And I was just like, this is so unfair. Like, I'm like, I know I'm acting like a baby and I know I'm throwing a tantrum, but it's just so unfair that you can't come home with me. And that, you know, I just, I'm, I'm going to miss you so much and everything. And then I start my period and I get like, I mean, oh at that moment, it's just like everything on the bed after we just tried mm. to rinse off the bedspread. But the the way mm. that it all happened at the same time, wow. I had so much compassion for myself of like, God, what women go through. Like, mm. like for him, he just go take a shower and like be yeah. stoked. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, he's happy to hold me and hold, you know, be that containment for me. And he's totally super present. And, but like, it's not hitting a level that it is for me when then I'm starting my period. And now like, I'm basically completely covered in who knows all what. And then now we're like having to clean up and move and get out of this place. So we don't even have like our own space to be in. And it just felt very symbolic because the next day I was going to Boulder to record a program called reclaim the feminine embodied sexuality as spiritual practice. And it, it just felt very, um, so real and so visceral and so gross, you know, mm-hmm. like I tell people birth is disgusting. Like everyone wants to think like birth, you just like a goddess and everything. Yeah. But it's also gross. And it's like, that doesn't mean it's bad because it's gross. It just is like people are like, I'm going to have a home birth, I, a water birth. I've been in water booths, like scooping poop out of the bathtub. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's all part of it. It's just, that's just part of it. It's like, we are earthly creatures. We're also magical creatures. We're everything. But yeah. the fact that that all constellated at the same moment was just like, God, like being like being a woman, holy shit. Like what an yeah. existence this is. Yeah. And that is what we would consider like sacred and profane all together at once, you know? And it's like that kind of, it almost rearranges all those things. It's like the poop in that moment was sacred, you know, like that was a sacred poop on the bed or <laughs> water or whatever. And the blood and the contact of the bodies. And, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that vulnerable, intimate. And you know what, when you're saying that, I just, it, it reminded me of what I've appreciated about you is that I feel like you live, um, your practice deeply and I don't know that, but I feel that. And hearing you say that, I'm like, yeah, that is to, to that's like to me practicing at the edge. That's like being with that desire and being right there at the edge and feeling the discomfort and then uh, feeling the need to be kind of grounded and regulated and all of it happening at once and then being able to share about it um, mm. is really beautiful practice. Yeah. It's, I mean, the basically when I got up out of the bed, I was having a flight response, right? Like I, like I, I hit an edge with the capacity. I saw the thing. It was also like, we were kind of in a rush because we had to leave, check out of yeah. our hotel. 
but all of those things together. And then I noticed, okay, so I, I like, I had a flight response and instead of like containing it and staying, which is what you do if you're trying to like not indulge a flight response, cause I didn't really need to escape anything. I really appreciated that my boyfriend went with me and that he was like, he, I mean, he was yeah. just like, okay, what, like it's, it's all play right now. Like every, it's all like, sure. Okay. This is what we're doing now. But then mm-hmm. yeah, to know what you want and realize like, wow, okay. I just completely s- skipped some frames there. And then to know next, like that's the best we can do is just com- continue to come back to what's happening, whether we have an, you know, a response that's different than what we wish we were having. It's like, yeah, but it's just what's happening. And then can we be responsive to what's happening? Exactly. Exactly. And I had a moment recently with my partner where I was wanting to bring in a little bit more kink that I had been yearning for in our, in our partnership. And I decided that it was up to me to kind of bring it in. Cause I had more of a background and understanding in it. And, um, he went into a freeze response because of me tying his hands up and blindfolding him in a particular way because he had a hurt back, so he couldn't sit in a chair. So he had to lie down. So it inherently brought out a little bit more domination from me because I was above him when I was intending on being below him and him in the chair. But because of that slight shift because of his hurt back, I, I my energy was... I was in the power position and, um, he wanted to kind of let me continue on with, with my, my ritual, my gift to him, but he went into a freeze and I, you know, then I took the blindfold off of him and I tried to stay with my practice and I, I danced to four songs and like went for it and had the ropes and all of this. And I, I didn't notice. So almost like the flip of me in that workshop with the man didn't know I was in a freeze. I, I didn't, I, I just I wasn't able to discern the freeze until, mm-hmm. <laughs> until it was all over. And I felt so humiliated because I was like, oh my God, you've been hating this. And I was just like stretching so deeply to give something that felt so vulnerable, but I also, um, but it was messy, you know, because I think when sometimes these desires, when they're trying to like come through us and we're yearning and all of this stuff, it's like what I, what I said and what I, what I kind of live by is like, it's not going to always, the first time it's that you do it or you practice it, it's just like any any art or any new practice. It's going to be messy. And like there's probably going to be moments where you're like, oh, I could have done that or I skipped that or I shut down. And as a practitioner and someone who wants to be close to always opening into the next place, it's like being willing to just mess up to do it a little bit sloppy, to like skip over some beats, to go, oh my God, I didn't notice that you were feeling that, or I didn't notice that I was feeling that. And um, to be able to sit and talk about it. And, you know, I was able to laugh about it like a few days later. And I, I hope you and your partner, you know, that'll be a memory that you kind of always remember of just like, oh. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it's important. It's important to, and humbling, you know, when we realize that we can, it's not just our boundaries that get overstepped. We can also overstep boundaries. And I think that as we become more verbal and more, um, it's more clear to us what our desires are. Cause I think the first step on this path is often, I don't even know what I want. I don't even yeah. know what I can want, but once yeah. we, we start to know that a little bit more, um, we can, we can, it's, it's, it's not only, it's not a one-way street. You know, I mean, a lot of people are probably surprised to hear that my boyfriend wasn't ready for anal sex, right? That's so anti-stereotype that like your Same partner's going to yeah. say they're not ready for something. And it's, that's been so beautiful for me because to be on the other end of that, you know, or like when I first started to tell a past partner, like I want to pause and then they start telling me they want to pause. It's like, wow, that, that, that really shifts some neurons, right? Like, oh, it's, not all about me and it's not all about me getting what I want. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Like this is a dance. And if I want the dance, like I gotta be, I gotta roll with both sides of it. And I find mm-hmm. that a lot of women don't want to say no because they don't like being said no to. Ooh, so, yeah. um, yeah, 
that's really what the Jaguar work is about. People kind of misinterpret it because they think that I'm teaching people how to be like alpha females or how to be this version of goddess that I see out there on social media a lot, which is like the fuck you version. Like, you know, like if you can't, you just can't handle me. Like, you know, if if you come close and I'm just too hot to handle, that's on you because I'm a, you know, full embodied goddess. And like, you better do your work if you want to be with me type of thing. Um, it's really about being able to occupy the full spectrum. Like, yes, can you be in your power, but can you also surrender? And can you know which is required of you? And if you're doing choreography, like you're suggesting, yeah, there's so many things that go on. Like you're, you're in the vulnerable space, you're creating an experience, but you don't necessarily, it's hard to track everything that's happening at the same time. So we just have to be willing to be so humble, but that's, that's the growth. And, and I think it's like anything, like when can we guarantee anything in life that it's always going to go one flavor? Never. And that's why it's like, I say that I like to use the words like disgusting because people don't, they want me to be like, it's sex. It's like an Alex gray painting where, you know, <laughs> this energy just circulates and the rainbow rainbows go flying. Yeah. And then you like shit on the fucking hotel yeah thank god you're just being honest about that thank god yeah it is messy i mean it's all so messy emotionally and physically you know when i when i miscarried just random tidbit like a week after i was like standing up and all of a sudden i felt like i was peeing my pants and it was a week later and i pulled my underwear down and there was like a golf ball size clot and I was just standing there with my underwear down like in the kitchen and I started having yelling oh my god oh my god come here come here and I was laughing because I was so shocked and my partner comes down and I'm like oh my god can you can, can you get it and he's like yeah yeah let me get it <laughs> like we're, we're like putting this ball of goo into a ziploc bag and putting it in the fridge so we can bury it together later <laughs> it's yeah. like you know it's like that's this life, you know, that's, that's the real thing. It's not just some, you know, beautiful whitewashed ritual. It's like, it's messy. Yeah. Yeah, Especially when it comes to the feminine and that's why it would, for any earth-based culture, wherever those might still be intact, uh, that would just be normal. But because it's, we have this like, white protestant overtones um or in the case of brazil the catholic influence it's yeah it's we've been given these unconscious divisions about oh like spiritual is high and white and pure and airy and sexual is bloody and dirty and then it's like look where it leaves us but what a beautiful what a beautiful um, mission of your podcast you know I'm lucky we can have conversations with you and lots of other incredible practitioners. So thank you. And I, I really hope that everybody reads your book. I have it right here and, um, call of the wild. It really helped me. One of the things that I loved about it, it helped me to tune into like discerning the intricacies of embodiment, which is something that I talk about, just how we can inhabit our bodies, noticing the sensations, noticing the emotional textures, noticing our body posture. Like you put language to things that I had focused on in acting school, but um, at that time it wasn't related so much to nervous system response and trauma response because it was just like, you know, more about inhabiting a character and bringing, being able to let go of patterns um, of the body that were unconscious or that were, you know, based off conditioning. So what I loved about your book was just like, oh, we can understand all of the different things happening within the body. It's not just, oh, I'm in my body, I'm present in my body, I'm aware of my body. It's like, no, there's a lot more happening in there. So highly recommend um, Kimberly's book. And um, I have the fourth trimester too. And I think uh, it's been a while since I've looked at that one, but yeah, you guys get that one too. Anything you want to share with us before, like any programs you have coming up or things you've got going on? Well, the Sounds True program, that'll come out in April 2022. So it's so a little exciting. ways out. Yeah, I'm really proud of that. It was a really incredible experience. It was all, there was an outline, but it was all spontaneous teaching in the moment oh, with wow. an incredible production team. So 
that was sort of like a life highlight in terms of process and like really respecting what teaching is and and the quality of emergent wisdom that's so different than reading a book or pre-recording um and then i lead classes often based on the call of the wild work which is which are usually called some version of activate your inner jaguar and i tell the story of the jaguar in the call of the wild book yeah Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, and it also seemed really like the class you just did about female sexuality looked amazing. And I hope you do something like that again. I, I wasn't able to make that one, but it looked really rad. Mm, thanks. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all of that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.